Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 215 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Andrea, Titi's mom. Titi, whose given name was actually Taylor, was Andrea's only child. Andrea says that she was one of the most wanted children ever born, and I think that is very likely true. When Andrea wrote to me, she explained that her situation, she felt, was a bit unique. Since Titi was an only child, did die as an adult, and had not yet had children of her own, she was hoping that I may know of others in her situation who might want to connect. So if you feel like you want to connect with Andrea, please email me at marcy at andysmom.com. And I also do want to take this opportunity to invite anyone who would like to share their story on the podcast or even just share their story personally with me. Write me, marcy at andysmom.com. Right now, just sit back and listen to Andrea, Titi's mom. Thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you, Marcy. It's so nice to be here. Yes. We were just talking as we were starting recording because you are here to talk about your daughter, Taylor. Yes. And I told you, well, I've already had another Taylor's mom. So we want to think about what the best way to kind of differentiate her from the other Taylor is. And then you told me something so cool because she has a pretty great nickname that everyone in your family called her. And I need you to tell the story behind that because I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So her nickname was Titi and her, uh, my sister's first child, her daughter, Mackenzie, um, when she was first learning to talk and she couldn't say the name Taylor. So she started calling her Titi. And so it stuck. Everybody started calling her Titi. And that was 20, probably 24, 25 years ago now, anyway. So <laughs> I just love that. And it's, and Taylor signed her a lot of her cards. Like she was a big card giver, as my mm-hmm. husband and I both were. And she would always write long notes on all our cards, which is a blessing today. And half of the, the cards are signed, Love TT. And it's a capital T, capital T. And so my nieces are actually going on her birthday, which is in December, to get TT tattoos in honor of her. So that name is extremely poignant to us. I know. And it's so funny because it just like brings tears to my eyes, even hearing that and hearing just the beauty of that. And, you know, if I hadn't have already had a Taylor's mom, we would have been fine. We would have put Taylor's mom on right, there. Right, yeah. But to me, this is way more special to be TT's mom. 
Yeah, I I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. I never thought of it. Just assumed you were going to put Taylor's mom, forgetting that I knew there was another Taylor's mom I had heard about. Didn't even go there, but I'm so glad. This is this. I, is I am too. This is yeah. just perfect. Yeah. So why don't you start out now by telling us all about your TT? Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, Taylor was the most wanted baby in the world, as far as I'm concerned. When and I were high school sweethearts. Um, we met um, when we were 15 and 16, pretty much love at first sight for us. We um, had a great romance all through high school. My husband, we knew pretty early on we wanted to get married and both from pretty big families and we both wanted to have a big family. And so he wanted to get married sooner than I did. I wanted to go to college, do all that. So I did. Mm-hmm. So we dated for eight years and then we got married. Even after get, be dating for eight years, you still got married pretty young. We did. Exactly. Because we were 15 yeah. and 16 and got married at 20, right. 25. Exactly. So it was young. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Especially in today's standards, I guess it's young. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, you think you dated eight years, then you're like, yeah. <laughs> right. well, you probably were in your 30s by the time you dated. No, you were still in your early 20s. I know. We were still, we were still babies. You were so, still yeah. babies. <laughs> yeah. And so we just, we had a, we had a whirlwind of relationship. We just loved each other daily, still do to this day. We wanted to have, you know, start uh, having a family. So we waited a year, figured we'd, we bought a house. We, you know, had a lot of friends yeah. over. We did a lot of fun stuff the first year. And then we decided we would start our family. Uh-huh. About a year in or so, I didn't, we, I didn't get pregnant yet. So come to find out I had severe endometriosis. So that took a turn of its own. It was a, but again, we, we handled it together. We got through it. I, you know, there was surgeries, whatever, and lots of um, infertility drugs. And so finally I was um, probably 29 at this time and still nothing had happened. And so I went to a specialist and they said, you know, we think you're a candidate for IVF. We really think you're young, but we really think that you're a candidate. Mm-hmm. So we had heard about that. Obviously, I knew that might come to that eventually where nothing else was working. And so we decided to go ahead with it. We signed up. They accepted us. We started the program. We knew how intense it was. They had told us from the beginning, it takes a lot of effort, especially back at this time. There was a lot yeah. more office visits, a lot, a lot of shots, a lot of everything. But we were committed. Because what year was this? This was 1990, actually, 19, uh-huh. 1990, 89, 90. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and so then- they had said it's a commitment and we decided this was it. We didn't tell anybody except my parents, my sister, my best friend. We just didn't want to hear everybody else's input. We didn't want to hear, are you pregnant? Did it work? How many eggs? All this. We just, it was something we worked well together. And this was something yeah. we were going to take on. And everything else took a, sec- a backseat. Didn't matter if there was weddings, anything, parties, anything going on. If we were in the middle of all this you know, timing, as you know, as being a doctor, it was of the essence, right? You had to be in. Sometimes they'd say, you need your blood checked now because you might need to, you know, to release the egg, whatever, you know, there's all that went along with that. Yeah. So right away, first time it worked. It was great. We were like, oh my God, why did we wait so long? This is crazy. This is so awesome. We are so excited. And so about two and a half, three months in, I wasn't feeling great, went to the doctor and it turned out it was an ectopic pregnancy, not something that happens often, but yeah. So we were depleted, depleted. It was tough, but you know, we we got back on and we said, okay, it happened once, you know, we can, we can do it again. And so eight IVF cycles later, Taylor was conceived. Wow. So she was our ninth IVF cycle. She was your ninth IVF cycle. She was our ninth. And, and yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So 
but it was, we did, it was awesome. And it wasn't anything that we look back on. It was great years. We made fun of a fun time of going to the, the clinic. You know, like I said, sometimes they'd call me 6am say you need to be in by 6.15, 7.30. We'd get in the car, get in there. And it was just, yeah, it was, but we did it. And we were so happy we did it. And as soon as I was pregnant with her and obviously the whole clinic, everybody was so excited because they, yeah. us by this point, they knew us really well <laughs> and we're really happy for us. And so, and I think you're right. She may be the most wanted baby ever. Yeah, do you think? Yeah. yeah. Not a million dollar baby, right? <laughs> and a million dollar baby. And a million dollar baby. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So we were just, and I knew right from the get go, I don't know why this was different. I knew that it was going to be an okay pregnancy. I wasn't worried about it at all. And it was, we didn't know what we were having. So I worked until um, I was a week overdue. I worked until that Friday and I said, I'm not coming back. Um, and then she was born on that Sunday. It was December 6th of 1992. Best day of my life. Oh, yeah. Beautiful baby girl was born and we couldn't have been happier. She was just all that, just everything we wished for. So it was Christmas time, which made it even more special. She was our, yeah. you know, I sent out cards that said Santa came early. Yeah, we were just so happy. And so because it was the winter time and then her pediatrician had said, you know, I don't want her out at all these parties and shopping and all this, keep her home for a few months, keep her healthy. And so we did. So we really got really close to this little sweetheart that we had that was now ours. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had always thought I was going to go back to work. I was going to take a year off and then go back. And then I decided, no, I don't think so. I don't think I worked too hard for this one. I'm going to stay. And so she became yeah. my life. Her and my husband were it for me. And we just, I just adored her. And um, at two and a half, I decided, okay, I think let's maybe try to go back and try to go have another one, you know, and just build our family. Yeah. So I went back did another three IVF cycles and, and nothing happened. And so I was going to sign up for the fourth and uh, they found out that I had had cancer. I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So at this point I said, wow, I never thought I would have to think of leaving her. And I, you know, having a cancer diagnosis at the age of 36 was like, wow, it was just eye opening for me. I said, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, life is, I can never leave her. I'm going to get as healthy as I can to be around for her. And as it turned out, then they came back to me, the doctors and said, you know what, we have no idea all the drugs you've taken. We have no idea what this does to you long-term, you know, you have a beautiful daughter, go home and raise her and love her and just forget about going any further. And so it was sad. It was hard to not grow our family, but we had the best. So we just said, you know what, that's fine. Okay. And my husband was 100% on board. He wanted me around more than he wanted any more kids and wanted her to always have her mom. So that's what we did. And so at that point we became really, really close. Taylor was it for me. And she was a kind, sweet, smart, intellectually mature kid. She had a heart of gold from a very early age. Always would leave my parents' house and my mom was coming with us and my dad wasn't. She'd go over and bring her stuffed animals so he wouldn't be lonely. She never wanted anybody to be alone or lonely. Just very, very sweet. You know, and I just love being a stay-at-home mom. I was, this is it. My career wasn't anything to me at this point. I just knew I was where I wanted to be and where I was meant to be. I had the two best people in the world as far as I was concerned. And I would pinch myself some days and say, how can this be my life? You know, like I said, she was a great kid. He had big families, a lot of, she had a lot of cousins and was close to nature. She had a lot of friends outside of, you know, home, obviously, and being here with just us. And she loved, she loved life. She was as happy as we did. We couldn't never tell her we were doing anything the next day, even it was going to a park with a friend or something, because she wouldn't sleep. She just loved to get up every day and love life, just like we did. I remember getting up and just loving life. And my husband did as well. So 
Then school was fine for her. She, she didn't have to miss me too much because I was there all the time. Okay. I drove her to school. She went to private school. So I drove her there and picked her up. And um, I was the room mom for most of her classes. I volunteered and I was the one who the kids came home with us and hung out here. I was a big part of our neighborhood. I was would plan Christmas parties, which we still had. Um, we had our last one last year, number 28 had pool parties here and block parties and she just loved it. She just loved living here. She loved, she loved people. She loved life and school was pretty cool for her. She, people would tell me all the time when, as soon as she turns, you know, 12, 13, you're going to see a whole different kid. She's not going to be, and she didn't, you know, she was just, she was really, really just adored us as much as we adored her. And like I said, she was very, an intuitive kid. Like she knew things well beyond her years. Like one thing I can tell you is she was five. I took her to her first movie mm -hmm. and it was 101 Dalmatians at five. I know nobody's ever said she never been to a movie. No. So um, we go to the park a lot, but um, so took her to the movies then. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, there the movie starts and they say something about, you know, skinning puppies and don't think anything of it. And I look over and she is beside herself. She's screaming. She's trying to get her coat on. She wants to get out of there. And I said, what's wrong, Taylor? And she goes, I don't want to see them skin the puppies. They can't skin the puppies. I'm like, at five years old, how do you understand what that even means? And so I said, you need to say, T, T we can't leave because it doesn't happen. It's just, they're just saying that they're not going to do it. I promise you. And I had to sit her down and keep her there till it ended. So she could, but that's just how intuitive she was. She was just very, very smart. She just got things well before, and her teachers would call me up and say, oh, geez, you know, we're talking about this in the Bible today. And she was questioning, you know, the Virgin Mary and where that I'm like, oh, geez, you know, like she just got things that other kids would go well over their heads. <laughs> and she again, and that was the one thing that always rang true in her reports from her teachers where she was just always so kind. And she always looked out for the underdog and she, and she did. And we just just adored her and she adored us. And school was pretty easy for her. She did really well. Middle school, uneventful. High school, a little bit different. She um, had, there was girl issues, friend issues, which, you know, I understand a lot of, you know, happens a lot. So that was hard for her, I think. But she had met, started dating this boy in high school who was a couple of years older than her. We loved him. And he was going to be a firefighter. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, good. Here we go. She's going to date yeah. this guy. She's going to get married. She's going to have kids. She's going to follow our footsteps. This is great. And so about a year in, she says to me, oh, I think I'm going to break up with Ryan. I'm like, what? What do you mean, Becca? Why? And she said, because, Mom, I don't know. I don't, it's just not feeling it anymore. I want to date other people. I said, oh, but I thought you were going to get married. And, and you know, said, Mom, oh, my God, no, that's not me. Oh, my God, no. Like, I'm like, okay. Like, you know, so, and it was, that was when I realized, okay, she's, she might look a lot like me, but she's not a mini me. You know, she's going to do her own thing. And, and I was pretty, pretty happy for that. Along this time, she had, she, my husband, unbeknownst to me at the age of 13, started when they went out off and doing their adventures or whatever they would do with themselves, he was letting her drive his pickup truck. Oh, my. And so she became, yes, not, you know, side roads or, you know, parking lots, whatever, but she was driving his pickup truck. <laughs> so she fell in love with a pickup truck, wanted to have one. So when she was 15, she said, I'm going to be getting my license in a year. I want a truck. So we said, okay, you know, if you want a truck, you don't have to get a job. You know, you can't, you know. Yeah. So she, at this time, was babysitting for her cousins and neighborhood kids. And so she was doing that. So she went to the local grocery store here and went in. I brought her there. She walked in and she came out and she had an application. And she said, the girl at the desk told me they weren't hiring. And fill this application out and bring it back later. And I said, okay. 
And so I started to go and she said, no, don't go. I want to fill it out now and bring it in. I said, oh, okay, fine, whatever, good. So then I'm sitting there waiting for her. She goes back in and waiting 20 minutes, half hour, nothing. She comes out finally. She's smiling at a year and I'm like, what happened? She goes, I got the job. And I said, what job? <laughs> there wasn't a job. There was no job. There was no job. She says, no, I went in, I asked to talk to the manager. And I talked to the manager and I showed him my application and he told me I can start Monday. I'm like, are you kidding me? You are too much kid. <laughs> so sure enough, she starts and, and at this grocery store, if you work at the register, which is the job she got, you wore a red coat. And if you uh-huh. if you managed the the ones that wore the red coat, you wore a blue coat and you opened and closed and you were called the front end assistant. And so she said to uh-huh. me, you know, I told the manager, you know, I want that job. You know, I, I'd love to do that. I'd be really good at that. And he said, that's great, Taylor. I'm really happy to hear that. And when you're here a year and you show up on time and you do all the right things here and your drawer is always not short, yeah. perfect. You can be that. That would be great. And so I go to pick her up about four months later and she comes out in a blue coat. And I'm like, what are you doing with the blue coat? And she said, I'm a front end assistant. I did it in four months. I'm like, are you kidding me? She said, no, I kept saying to him, I- I've been doing great. I've done this. And he said, you're right, Taylor, you are. And she said, so I'm the one, I got it before anybody else ever has in the history of this or whatever. And she was just so proud of herself. But that's, that's just the type of kid she was. Well, and determination. I love that determination. And determined, right? And just not shy, so sure of herself. And that was one thing that a lot of people said, even her college friends who have seen since she's passed away have said, you know, you don't ever get into a bet with Taylor because Taylor's going to win 100% of the time. And we started laughing because it took my husband too many years to figure this out. He would, she was always betting him something and he would always lose. And I said, when are you going to learn? She will never bet if she's not 100% sure of what she's talking about. Don't, so don't even go there. You're never going to win an argument with her because she's going to be right because she does her research. And she did, she would always, you know, she'd be at school and she'd, text me and she'd say, mom, Google this quick because I need to make sure I'm going to say the right answer. I think this is what it is, but I need to make sure that this is right. And I can't get on that site. So hurry up. Like, that's just how she just could never be wrong. She just had to be. You know, it's funny listening to her. She sounds a little bit like me in some ways because <laughs> I'm flattered because I, I am. It's it's funny, you know, just thinking about that. Like, you know, I see a personal trainer and I have on and off for a long time and he knows me well enough now that he knows the way to get me to do something is to tell me that I can't. If he tells me that I am not going to be able to do something, well, I sure as well am going to do it. Like (laughs) I will do it if he tells me I can't. And I think back to when we got Valeriano as our foster son and he gets put on, you know, the transplant coordinator comes to talk to us and says, we need to do all of these appointments. Usually it takes about three months to get listed. And I looked at her and I said, well, I plan to do it in one. And she looked at me like, okay, crazy lady. And says to the nephrologist, like, okay, she's got really high expectations. She thinks she can do this all in a month. But guess what? I had him listed in three weeks. Three weeks. I had every appointment done that normally takes three months. Wow. Because... I'm just, I, you know, I just get it in my head that I'm going to do something and I'm just going it. to do it. Yeah. No. So that the four months to be in the front end thing, I was yeah. like, that is totally something I would do. I would be like, <laughs> year, not a year. Someone tells me I have to wait a year. I'm not waiting a year. Yeah. It's not going to be but. a year. I'm going to get this done. Yeah. No, she was, so. she was definitely, definitely that way. So for sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. Yeah, it was a struggle at times, but I loved it. I'm not going to. Yeah, I know. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure I'm a struggle at times too. <laughs> yeah. So then, like I said, she went through high school and then she decided she was going to, we went to the whole, all the college tours and all that. She mm-hmm. got applied to all these schools and accepted, um, got accepted at one and decided that's where she was going to go. It was in Rhode Island. And then she informed us that summer before she was going to go that she was going to take a gap year. Okay. And needless to say, we were not thrilled or pleased or, and we had t- tried to talk to her. She was, had her mind made up, wasn't going to. See, I know that. Listen, had our parents talking to her. Yep. I get her. Yep. Yeah. Had her mind made up, had all these things she was going to do. And needless to say, not many of them occurred. But anyway, so <laughs> she asked them to hold her acceptance. And then she had a great summer because she realized, okay, I don't have to go back to school for once. And this is great, you know. And then when all her friends started going to college and like leaving her, you know. Yeah. And here she was still at home and they're all gone. I don't think she planned that out too well. Yeah. So she was, you know, a little, we saw, definitely saw a change in attitude in her then. She wasn't. She had made a mistake and she didn't like to admit she made a mistake. And so we tried not to dwell on it because she could have gone. And I tried to say, you can go, you know, January. I'm fine. I'm going. I'm doing my gap year. And it's okay, fine. So she, we said, you have to work. You're not just going to be sitting around. If you're not doing all the things you said you were going to do, you need to, you know. So she got a job at a restaurant and she was only 18 at the time. Of course, 21 to drink, but we could tell she was drinking and we could tell, you know, she'd say, I'm staying here tonight, staying with a friend from work, whatever. And it just wasn't a great, you know, it wasn't a great year yeah. at all. Um, yeah. We weren't thrilled with her and she wasn't thrilled with us and she wanted more leniency, whatever, to be out longer and later. We said, nope, you still live here, all that. Yeah. We just had never experienced that with her at all. But I think the more I saw her and talked to her, I realized it was just because she had made a mistake and she was sorry for what she did. And she was trying to make something good or better or cool sure. out of a bad situation situation, which was fine. So then she decided that she wasn't going to go to the school she wanted to. She Taylor's favorite holiday of all time was Halloween. She loved Halloween better than anything. Okay. And she heard the costumes that she created her mainly herself were amazing. She was she was very, very good at that. Face makeup, everything. And then even um, her pumpkins, her pumpkin carvings. I'm going to miss that every year. She would send me her pumpkin of the year, whatever she was carving. And she and I actually have all of her pumpkin tools, her tool carving stuff here because she had left them here. So she decided that she wanted to go to school in Salem, Massachusetts, which is where we live in Mass. And um, she oh. loved Salem. She loved the history there. She loved the museum. Yeah. She loved everything about it. And so she applied to Salem University and they accepted her and she started the following year. Okay. Which So she was a year behind. So and then we saw a change in her. She was so excited to be going to college. She was, you know, back with her friends. They're all leaving. Everything was great. So she does college. She goes for two years. She, she had great two years. She was on the dean's list, had a bunch of friends, her old friends and her new college friends. We just loved them. Mm-hmm. Didn't see much. I figured, oh, good. She's only an hour away, less than an hour away. We'll see her. Didn't see her at all. You know, she very rarely came home, you know, for breaks. <laughs> she might come home. But other than that, and she was working, she had a truck there. So she still had work. And so she was do- killing it. She was really doing really well. Yeah. And then she turned 21. And she called me and said, oh, mom, I went to this club and I met this guy and he's a lot older than me. Um, and he's got a lot of money. I'm not used to going out with a guy with a lot of money. And but I really like him. And I said, Oh, really, Taylor? Geez, that's, you know, just concentrate on your school, whatever. And so it's like, Oh, it's, he's not going to want her. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't take it too seriously. And then about a month later, she said, you know, I really like him. I'd really like you to meet him. So we said, okay, and you know, that's fine. So he came home and I could see why she liked him. He was very charming, very handsome, said all the right things, you know, said thanks to my husband and I for allowing 
him to date our daughter because there was such an age difference and whatever. And um, we said, okay, fine. You know, whatever. Didn't still didn't think he just seemed out of her league and he was out of her league uh, for sure. And so it was about a month or so later than that, her address was still my house. So she gets a letter from the domestic assault officer in the town of Salem addressed to her. So I called her and I said, T, you know, you get a letter here from the domestic assault officer. And she said, Oh, mom, she said, I, you know, the new phone I got, I wasn't, I hit the 911 button by accident. She said, whenever you do that, they send out a letter. And I said, are you sure? And she said, oh yeah, mom, I'm, I'm positive. That's it, nothing. I, nothing, I, nothing's happening. Mom, believe, believe me. So I said, okay. And I'm like, nobody's going to touch Mike. Nobody, she wouldn't put up with anything. So I really totally believe what she was saying. Yeah. Yeah. So a few months later, you know, her, I, and we noticed she just seemed out of it sometimes. She just didn't seem, and I'd say, aren't you supposed to be at school? What are you calling me now for? Mom, forget, I'm just going to tell you this. And she seemed agitated. She just didn't, just didn't seem like herself at all. And so her friends called me a little while after that and said, you know, we're really worried about Taylor. We're, she doesn't come out with us anymore. And then when she does her phone, her boyfriend's calling her constant, doesn't stop until she leaves. She's not showing up for classes. So I said, okay, we get a problem, you know, and then shortly after that, we get another letter from the, she gets another letter from the domestic assault officer. So I opened it. Yeah. And I called the officer and she said, I'm so glad that you called me. I'm so glad to hear from you. She said, you need to get, as I'm saying this again, I'm getting the chills. She said, you need to get your daughter away from him. This is what he does. He frequents the bars, the college bars, and he gets the young girls and he wines and dines them. And then he abuses them. He has a bad history of this. He's been arrested several times for several young girls. He's also got a drug history. So whatever you do, you just need to get her away from him fast. So I called her and I told her what I what I had found out. I said, I heard he has a very bad past. I looked more into him, didn't say anything about the officer. And she said, you are so judgmental, mom. You don't know. He didn't have a childhood like I had. He had such a horrible childhood. People have been picking on him his whole life. It's not his fault. The girls he was with, it's just nothing it's none of this is his fault, mom. He needs, you know, I I care oh. about him and you're just being judgmental. So I'm not going to talk to you about it. Oh. And this was not my kid. We talked about everything. We were so, I was blown away. I just did not who know who this child was any longer. So fortunately, a couple weeks after that, we had been trying, my husband called, went over there and I thought, you know, he's going to kill this guy. I said, don't you go to jail because you're hurting him or, right? and he said, I'm just going to talk to them. I just want to find out what's going on and, and nothing. It didn't, she wouldn't leave. He denied everything. So anyway, a couple weeks after that, the officer called me and said, I want to let you know, I just arrested him on a drug charge and he is going, he's going to be held and he's going to go away for a long time. She said, so you can get your daughter home. So because at this point, she was living, moved out of her dorm, unbeknownst to us, living with him and his mother. Wow. Yes. So then the, he had told the mother, I want Taylor to stay living with you. Do not let her leave. She's going <gasps> to stay there and you're going to take care of her until I get out. And this is how much control he had. So I, right after I got off the phone with the officer, Taylor called me hysterical. Mom, oh my God, you're not going to believe it, but they arrested John. Oh my God, mom, what am I going to do? I got to get him a lawyer. I got to help mom. And I said, Taylor, you need to get home. Enough. This is his doing. Yeah. Leave. Be done. And she said, you don't understand, mom. He needs me. I need to help him. I need to stay with his mother and take care of his mother. She's so upset about this, mom. So I said, I'll be damned. And then I realized what was, so the mother's in it with him, right? So I um, contacted the mother and I said, 
my daughter is going to leave your house. You're going to let her know today that she needs to be out. I said, and if you don't, you're going to need to deal with me and you don't want to deal with me. I promise you. So she did. She told my daughter she had to leave that the landlord wouldn't let her stay. So Taylor called me the next day and said, I need to come home. I can't stay here. I said, I'll be there to get you. And I went, picked up all her and her stuff. And she was a broken kid. She was a broken young woman. She was so upset that this guy was and didn't. I said, what about the things he did to you, Taylor? What about the abuse? And she said, oh, mom, you don't understand. He didn't mean it. And I was shocked because this was not my kid. Yeah, This was not the person that I raised. And she was broken. She was, and I didn't know anything about domestic assault at all, of violence. I knew nothing. And I didn't understand what she had gone through. And I wasn't listening to her at this point. I was more barking at her. I was more telling her the things I thought she needed to do, none of which were helpful. Right. Um, so having her at home, it wasn't helpful for her. Finally, she did get into therapy, which was great. She started to turn around a little bit. I went and got some therapy so I could understand my husband and I, so we sure. could understand what she had gone through so we could know how best to help her. And she started to open up a little bit. He was calling her from jail. And any time that he called, I saw her agitation come. So I told her, I said, I'm paying for your phone. So I'm blocking the no more numbers. And she actually didn't give us a hard time. We blocked the house phone so she could have no more contact with him. She went to a therapist and a psychiatrist who prescribed her, which I didn't think she needed anything, for, but they prescribed her like Ambien to sleep, Adderall to stay awake, something else for her anxiety and Ativan for her anxiety. And so here's this kid. She's all taking drugs to sleep, taking drugs to wake up. And wow, we just didn't know what to do with it. We just didn't. So she eventually just said to me, mom, you know what I think I want to, she always loved hair and makeup. She was always so into taking care of herself that way. And she said, I think I want to go get my esthetician license. You know, I said, you're not going to finish school. She's not right yet. I'll go back. But I think I really want to get my esthetician's license. I said, great. So she was living here. She went, she completed the course and she loved it. And I found a letter that she had written to Salem, to the university in Salem when she wanted to go back in and start exactly where she left off. Mm -hmm. And what the letter said in essence was I got my esthetician license so I could help other women feel good about themselves because I know how awful it was to not feel good about myself. Someone who always had such confidence and pride in myself, I lost that. Mm -hmm. I want to give that to other people. And I that made me feel really good because again, she was helping people and that's what she always, she was always so kind and helpful. And that really opened my eyes a lot to her when she was doing that. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's part of what the trouble was, though, in some ways, right? Because she was such a helper and wanted right. to help people so much right. that she right. really felt like she could save him and help him. 100%. That's exactly what right. right, exactly. And I didn't see that. I never saw that goodness in her. And I, and I felt bad. But it was shortly after that that I realized, wow, this child just taught me so much. Her kindness and her thought, she just... She was looking out for, again, for the underdog, looking out, mm -hmm. even though it was to her own demise. And I, that I didn't get. I none, But again, that all goes with, you know, domestic abuse, right? right? That's all part of that control, which I never believed anybody could control this child. Lord knows yeah. I knew I couldn't. And so that, to me, just that's what brought down. That's what beat her down. It wasn't. She still was the same person inside. Yeah. Still kind. I think just really wanting to be a savior and really wanting to help exactly. so much. Exactly. That that's, and, and that's not what you think of, 
you know, classically, it's not the thing that you think of as someone who would suffer from domestic violence. Is exactly, but exactly. that's exactly why it could happen to her is because she just 100%. wanted to help so much. Right, mm-hmm. right, and it took me longer than I I'd like to admit to to realize that you know, and so she was frustrated with me because I wasn't. She didn't want to disappoint us, and so she was telling us sometimes what we wanted to yeah. hear and tell us instead of telling us what she was really feeling. And I, and once I realized that I needed to stop and listen to her, cause she would say that to us a lot. You just need to listen. And she was a great listener. She listened to everybody that spoke to her. And once I started to listen to her, I learned so much from this kid. I can't tell you. It was just a, I thought I knew everything and I didn't know anything. This kid knew more than I did as far as I was concerned. And she taught me so much. And then she flourished. She started flourishing again. We started seeing pieces of her back, but she said, I need to move out. I need to have my own place and get an apartment. Sure. Just live on my own again. And then I'll go back to school, finish my classes. And so she did that, which was great. And then she, again, she was dating these guys that just seemed needy. One of them didn't even have his, his high school diploma. So she was helping him get his GED. And I'm like, why? But I didn't question it. I wasn't thrilled with it. I didn't think it was where I felt like she should be helping herself a little bit more. And I'd start to tell her that. And then she'd say, mom, you know, and so she got through that still had some issues with still not sleeping. I could tell like, and when I talked to you, you know, your kid, right. Mm -hmm. You hear their voice. You just know she's just waking up or she hasn't slept, whatever. And I, and she, a few weeks before she died, she had said to me, you know, I really need to ask my doctor for, to up my Adderall. I just, don't think it's enough for me. And I had said to her, you know, T, I really think you should be off it. Like you shouldn't be on that anymore. You don't need that. You know, she's mom, I do need it. I do need it. And I didn't really like, oh, and it was like a few weeks before her birthday and Christmas. So I didn't, you know, elaborate with it, but come to find out she needed more than that, I guess. But um, so then when she did move out, she ended up meeting another guy that we came to to meet and like a lot. He was older than her, had two kids. And again, we're like, oh gosh. But I tried not to get involved. I said, you have your relationship. If it works out, you know, whatever, we'll see. And we'll meet him. And, you know, it was like more drama. I just felt like I wanted her to lighten her load a little bit instead of I felt like with kids, it was just, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, it wasn't exactly what I wanted for her, but I backed off and just listened to what she said to me. And and finally, just, just listened to her and let her do what she wanted to do because it was her life, not mine. Right. And she was going to live life, not my life. And so she ended up telling my husband, you know, daddy, he treats me like you treat mommy. And um, he's so good to me. And and as soon as we heard that, we said, that's what she needed. That's what she was looking for. Yeah. She was looking for someone to treat her like she wanted to be treated. And we saw a huge change in her, huge change after that. And we start, you know, they started hanging out with them, had a lot, traveled with them, did a few things. And we just saw how happy she was. And she was at her best. We had our daughter back. We were so happy. And then COVID hit. And she had just accepted a new position, a position, a full-time job, benefits, all that. She was so excited and COVID hit. She got the acceptance letter and then COVID hit and then they didn't open. So we were kind of worried about her then to see like, how is she going to handle this? But she handled it great. You know, she did a few other part-time jobs or whatever was open in her area. She was out walking. She, we, she didn't move home because I was with my dad. I took care of my dad a lot, who was 95 and she didn't want, you know, where she was still out seeing public at times. She didn't want to. So, um, but her and I were, I was retired at this time. So her and I spent a lot of time together. We have a house in Florida. We flew there. We spent weeks, a few Mm -hmm. weeks here and there. 
together and just really, really got to know each other. And she was like, just couldn't have asked for better. Yeah. Four months before or last summer, I guess it was, she found her dream job. A friend of hers from college had called her and said, you know, I'm working at this company and I think you'd really, really do great. And so Taylor told me about it and said, what do you think? It was a little bit in sales, which we always told her you'd be a great salesperson. Uh And she was, she had a few sales jobs throughout her years. And she just was really good with people. She listened to people, to what they said. So people really liked to conversate with her. So she was, she was just great like that. So she was a people person for sure. And so she um, accepted this job. She loved it. She shadowed and called me, she said, I'm taking it. And she nailed it. She, again, she was blowing the numbers out before other people did. They were already going to offer like a job to manage other people. It was just crazy how the last, you know, four or five months of her life was just, she was, she had stopped going to family events while she was going through the domestic assault stuff. She wasn't showing, you know, she just, I don't feel like going, mom, I can't go. And people were missing her. Like, where's Taylor? Where's Taylor? You kind of make up excuses. Not again, like we kept things private, you know, like with her, even her life, even this was hard for me to do because we're such private people who don't. And so we weren't telling people exactly what was going on with the life. It was her story to tell, not ours, you know? Right. right. So, you know, a lot of people didn't understand what was going on, didn't know what her issues were. So finally, you know, right after COVID, everything opened up. We have family weddings, we have family functions, and she's showing up for all of them. And she's coming in smiling, and she's the same old Taylor that everybody knew and loved. And she was back. Yeah. And it was even so she had turned 30 on December 6th of last year. Uh I think I told her I did the neighborhood Christmas parties every year, and this was our 28th. And so I had said to her, Taylor, because of everything going on that year with family wedding and everything, I said, I have to move the Christmas party to your birthday weekend. I said, I'm sure you're probably going to go away somewhere, but don't, please don't worry about it, T. I want you to go have a good time and we'll celebrate your birthday on your birthday. And so she said, no, mom. She said, I would never miss the neighborhood party. I want to be there and that, and I want to see everybody. And she did. She came and she saw everybody, which was wonderful because she died shortly after that. And I just keep going back to that wouldn't have been Taylor years ago. Her birthdays were every birthday. They had to last a week. You yeah. know, we had she was private schools. So we had parties for her private her private school friends. We had parties for our home friends, parties with her. It just never ended. Her birthdays were just because we had one kid. We just did it all. <laughs> and so for her to say her 30th birthday, she wanted to be home with us, celebrating with our neighbors to me was so poignant. It really showed who she was. And I was couldn't have been any prouder of her. Yeah. And then I think I told her on her 30th birthday, we had taken her out and she was getting all these messages from all her friends were back because they had left, you know, yeah. not knowing what was going on with her, didn't like her choice of boyfriend at that time, just kind of left. And now they were all back and she was in her glory, had that dream job. We couldn't have been happier. We spent so, we had so much time with her in that last six months for sure. Like I said, a couple of family weddings, Maloney's girl, our family girl bachelorette party we went off to florida and all spent time together so everybody really got to to experience the the new and updated grown-up taylor you know which was really nice wow i love that how precious are those months to you now i mean yeah i can't even tell you i can't if i i can't even tell you if i if i didn't have them i don't know i don't know that i'd be sitting here honestly i mean it's just just a gift it just feels like a gift it's, like, it's yeah. a total gift, a total gift. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. so do you want to talk now about what happened? Sure, yeah. sure. Like I see, she was living in her own apartment. It was and working this job and it was the day before Christmas Eve. So it was the 23rd of December. And, uh-huh. you know, I have to tell you, you know, with and cell phones are wonderful because of all the texts and messages. And we talked 
Yeah. We talked 10 times a day. We texted 50. Yeah. Um, always good morning, good night, and everything in between. And so this particular day, I'd always do these clips. I would see things on Instagram, whatever, and I would clip it and I would send it to her because it thought it reminded me of her. It was a whatever, it's certain little things. And this particular morning, I had looked through my phone and I saw this clip that I clipped. And I said, Oh, geez, I never sent her that. So I sent it. And the clip said, I have had the time of my life raising you. You know, she responded back a couple hours later and said, oh, thank you so much, Mama. I love you so much. I said, I hope you're having a good day. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. And so she ended up calling me shortly after that and said, oh, she was at a store buying presents for someone that she had already bought some for, but didn't think she got them enough. And so I said, you got to stop. It's you're done. You know, like Christmas here, like forget it. Just you're done. You know, go home and finish your job. She had to get to the office. And so she said, I'm heading to the office and I'll be home later. I'll talk to you later. I said, okay. And so I had gone, was going to our little party that night, my husband and I. So we went to this party and I hadn't texted her um, once or twice. I texted her, I guess, and say, hey, hope you're having a good day. Hope it's things are going good for you. And I'll talk to you later. And so I got a call and it was her boyfriend's phone. And I thought, oh, she, her phone died. So she's calling me on his. So I stepped away because it was with a bunch of people. So I stepped away and it was her boyfriend. And he said, hi, Andrew. He said, I said, hi, how's it going? He said, not good. He said, um, Taylor's at the, um, Taylor's at the hospital. I said, oh my God, what happened? And he said, I think she overdosed. And I said, what, what are you talking about? He goes, the doctor wants to talk to you. I said, okay, sure. So the doctor gets on. I said, what's going on? She goes, is this Taylor's mom? And I said, yes. And she said, I'm so sorry. She said, we did everything we could. We worked on her. They, the EMTs worked on her. And then they brought her in and we worked on her for 45 minutes. And we just, I am so sorry. And I said, what are you saying? She said, I'm so sorry. She didn't make it. And I said, what do you mean she didn't make it? What are you talking about? And she said, where are you? And I said, I'm at a party. What, what hospital is she at? I want to come. And she said, I want you to drive slow. And, and I said, I'm going to be there. And she said, just drive slow. I said, don't tell me what to do. And I hung up the phone. And I went and I grabbed my husband. And he was talking to people. And, he, and I said, we got to go. We got to go. And we get out. And he said, what's going on? And I said, it's Taylor. I said, they said she overdosed. I said, and then she didn't make it. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I mean. Like, just go. So we drove there. I don't know how we got there. And and then when we got there, her boyfriend was there. And she was in this room. They let her go in and see it. Let us go in and see her. And said, she has a tube in her mouth. You can't touch her. Um, she had vomit in her hair. And she was just lying there. And it was just surreal. I still, I still can't even believe that this is our life, that. Right. And uh, we had called, you know, a couple of friends, a sister and my brother-in-law and my friend, and they all came and everybody showed up and it was just like surreal. And I mean, they let us stay with her. I get to lie with her and talk to her and hug her. And it's just, it's just surreal. And, you know, come to find out then the police came in and said they wanted her phone because they felt that this could be a fentanyl poisoning, which is what the doctor said as well, just by the amount of vomit, whatever they saw, they just, and I guess it had happened quite a few times right around then. And so they wanted her phone so they could try to investigate and see if they could find anything. Yeah. And it's just all so surreal. All of this was just so surreal. And I guess um, what had happened was her boyfriend had come home and she was home and he said, I'm going to run out and grab some wrapping paper. I'll be back in 15, 20 minutes. And when he came home, he walked in the house and he called her and he didn't, she didn't answer. And then he looked on the counter and he saw some, what looked like cocaine, um, like she had done cocaine. And um, so he went in the other room and that's when he found her. And so wow, that's, that's what happened. And did you know about any of this? Or was this just? I, I didn't. I mean, I knew the Adderall. I knew I could tell. I, I knew she had done. And I had t- we had had this talk not long before saying, 
I had said, Taylor, you know, I know if anything you're getting, like even pot, whatever, it's laced with fat. And she, mom, I'm not stupid. Like I, I know I'm not, you know. Yeah. And so, but it, you know, it all makes sense now. And I knew she had done coke before. I knew Adderall. I knew that was made, and that's why I, when she had said she wanted more of it, I, it, it was a, yeah, it kind of right. made me think like why, like I, and I just didn't want to deal with it then. I felt like she was doing so good, and there was a time that I would have not been shocked because she was definitely out of it at times, and and I, you know, there was more going on than I knew even. You know what I mean? Yeah. Back when she was with the ex boyfriend and all that, but lately, no, I there was nothing. You know, I knew she still took things to sleep and and to stay awake. I knew that, but I didn't. There was no indication. I talked to her every single day, FaceTimed with her. I was with her. She came here to do her laundry once a week. We saw nothing of, so it wasn't, I, for whatever reason, she felt the need to, she was a type A personality. I don't know. Maybe she had a lot to do. I don't know. Or she had an addiction problem that I didn't fully see. I, I don't know. Yeah. They're just, it's, they're powerful. They're powerful. It's pot and it, it is. So she did a line of coke and it was laced. And that's what the medical examiner, when she had called me and told me how she died, she said, your daughter was poisoned. She said, this was a fentanyl poisoning. She was murdered. So, and again, that would be my fight, I guess, for the rest of my life as she was 13 or 14, but she was old enough to know better. She knew. Yeah. She knew the chance, not that that's what she wanted by any means. She was on the top of her game. Yeah. And she would never have wanted this for us at all. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that I struggle with now, right? It's, that's my husband and I, we have no other, you know, our, we lost our future, you right. know, our future's gone, right. you know, right. and that's the thing that's so hard. We, but we were great before her and then she made us so much better. And now what do we do with this? You know, we don't have any other children in grid. We have family. We have a lot of nieces and nephews, like I said, big families, but it's not the same at the end of the day, it's Peter and I, and you know, who are we without her? And it's, that's what we're struggling with this. You know, we still, thank God, we still rely on each other. We, we, we are mourning the same, we grieving the same. We're still in love with each other, but we don't have our future. Everything that we thought was going to be is not. Yeah. Your kind of legacy, right? Exactly. Exactly. She was your legacy. So where do we go from here? You know, we always thought we were going to have the weddings and that, you know, the, in the family trips and the grandchildren and the, yeah. my husband and I were in our sixties when we lost both of our, all of our parents. So we felt like we were going to have that with her and I was determined to be healthy. And I did so much for my own health to make sure I was going to be here for her because she had a fear that she was going to lose one of us. And, and the thing is, we don't have a voice message of Taylor. We have everything else, a million videos, a million pictures, a lot of texts. And, um, but we don't have, because she never left one, because if she couldn't get a hold of us, she would keep calling until she got a hold of us. She'd call me, she'd call Peter, she'd call her dad back and forth. Where's mom? Where's dad? Why isn't anybody answering me? I'd be like, T, we're here or we're whatever, you know? So I always made it a point to text her or tell her if I was going somewhere, like, if you don't get a hold of me, this is where I am. Like, don't worry. So it was such a big, you know, we're just, and now it's, now I don't have that, you know? Yeah. I mean, such a huge part of your everyday life too. It is. And she was such in my everyday, my mm -hmm. whole life. Mm -hmm. I was so connected to her. You know, there are friends that tell me, geez, I don't talk to my kid, but once a week, maybe, you know, once, yep. and I, she was so in some, one of her friends had given me a piece of advice a while back. And when I wasn't talking to Taylor, didn't as much, I wasn't engaging or it was obvious to her that I wasn't being as connected as I always was. Cause I didn't want to hear about the boyfriend drama or whatever. And they said, you know, whenever you're not talking to her, we know 
We, she's just not in a good mood when you, she would say, you fight with your mother again or something. So I said, thank you so much for telling me that because from that day forward, I never, ever did not take her call or never, ever didn't answer a text her. And that was several years ago. And it, that was a gift to me because I learned so much when I shut up and just read her text instead of talking. When I sat back and just read what she had to say. And she was so poignant in so many of her texts. And I read them. I go back now and say, what were we talking about a year ago today? And every day I have something because I talk to her every day. And so that's what I've been doing the last year is every day. I said, what do we talk about today? And I feel like when I'm doing that, that I'm actually talking to her because I'm reading her text as she wrote them. And I would know if it wasn't her typing a text because she had a unique way of writing her text to me. So nobody could ever fake it. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to lots of people now and I've always had a thought early on about how when I lost Andy, of course, you know, Andy's in the Mm -hmm. bedroom right next to me. I, Andy's at every meal with us. Andy's at everything. And the absence was just so profound because, you know, walking past that empty bedroom and all of that. And I thought, you know, would be different had he been out of the house, that it's not every second that it's the reminder. But with you, it was still pretty close to that, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. Yeah. Because the communication you had with her, especially in this day and age with the texting, was just almost continuous. You had a thought and thought about sharing it with her. And years ago, you would have like waited until your weekly phone call or whatever. Right. Exactly. But you could just pop off that text right at that moment. Right. And so she she is just as missed in the everyday, everyday moments, I would say. Yeah, because, yeah, she was so uh, entwined in my life. She was my life, her and my husband in my life. And the yeah, the three of us, and it was just, there was not a minute that went by that I didn't think about her. And of course, and even my husband, like, come on, what's Taylor doing today? How's she doing today? Like, and he had, like, it was just like a couple of weeks before that, because she was, had a longer drive to work. So she would call me because I was retired. She could talk to me all she wanted. And I remember she'd hang up and then, oh, someone else would call her. So she'd call me right back and I'd say, hi, T. You know, she goes, hi, mom. And I said, are you just calling so I could hear you breathe? And my husband was in the other room and he starts laughing when he hears me say that. And I said to him, you know, shortly after, you know, she passed away, I wish I could just, she'd call me so I could just hear her breathe. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Because so. you just miss that. You miss those every day. Oh, just exactly just her personality just her it was felt like even though and she would stop by every week to do her laundry and we had a thing that she'd come in with all her laundry and when Taylor was in the house she knew Taylor was in the house you know she brought all her stuff and she loved to cook and whenever she cooked she she cooked really well she didn't clean up so well though so you know (laughs) and yeah left every cabinet door in the house in the house open and then come to find out and talking with her college friends after that say oh yeah we always know we come back from class and we say oh Taylor was here every cabinet's open you know she was she was in our dorm you know like yeah. so yeah so yeah. we've been able to memorialize her a lot do a lot for her you know we had a yeah. celebration of life for her which was wonderful over 100 people and it was an open house and people just came and said wonderful things about her and all that which is just so nice because you did that a bit of time after right you didn't do that right away yeah yeah I waited till July yeah I went through the whole thing with my dad and wanted to get through that and I wanted to you know and you know my my girlfriend and I were doing rocks for her we yeah. ended up doing this big huge rock garden with over you know, probably 120 rocks if we were expecting so many people and each rock 
was about something that interested Taylor. So whether it was her favorite beach name or her name or always choose kindness, because that was her thing. And that was one thing the first year that she went off to college and um, she had texted me and said, oh, mom, I just found the best thing for my dorm. And she sent me a picture of it. And it said, if you can be one thing, be kind. And so she said, I bought it, mom, because it reminded me of you. It's what you always told me. And, you know, Taylor is one that she lost everything. You know, she was always, oh, I can't find my license. Oh, I can't find this. We're just like, oh, my God, can't find her keys and can't, you know, she always. Okay, I got to admit that's me, too. So. <laughs> is that, okay, so see, there you go, right? Unlike me, who has yeah. everything. I'm using Peter's earbuds right now because mine somehow have disappeared. <laughs> again, oh, that is so again. funny. So see, you guys would have got I, along great. I would get along great <laughs> with her. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she she just said that this reminded me of her. And so when we were emptying out her last apartment, which was, you know, she had lived four different places and been home a few times in between, the sign was still there. So we took it home and that's what we made. I have a bench here that I engraved. If you can be one thing, be kind. And on the table that we had memorialized for her at the park, we had that big, huge picnic table. And it said it says that on it. So it's it's that. And that was so her, you know, and it was, yeah. you know. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I love that. We just had a bench installed at my office for Andy that his friend had made. And, uh, oh, did you? Yeah. And oh. I haven't um, decided what to put on it, though, but that puts some thoughts into my head. I, I thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And it's so nice. It is nice to see that, know that that's our babies. Yeah. You know? something that's written about them and it's so poignant to who they were yeah absolutely I love now looking out of the window when I'm seeing a patient in the office and seeing that bench sit there it just means a lot yeah yeah it really just and it's the reminder that we want all the time and that's what people I guess don't understand is it's okay to remind us you know it's okay to talk about our kid and that's one thing that just just what you just said. You see this every day and you love yeah. it. You don't, it doesn't bother you. You love, love it. it. Like if that's what people know, you know? Yeah. And that's what people don't yeah. understand. No, they don't. No. And I think that's what your podcasts have done. I mean, like I think I told you early on that they saved me. I was one. I know there's some people get up and they, they can't get up out of bed. They can't. I was the opposite. I couldn't stay in bed. I needed to move all day long. I walked more. I remember asking my vet, can I walk my dog too much? Cause I'm feeling like maybe I'm walking her too much. And they're like, no, you're not, you know, um, she can watch as much as you want. Cause I just walked and I listened to your podcasts over and over and they saved me. They made me feel some sort of normalcy. I that I was a part of something, yeah. even though I wasn't where I didn't want to yeah. be, but there were people that could identify with me and I could identify with them. And, and not just that. And that's one thing that your, your podcast point out as well, that it's not just for people that have lost children. It's for people who love people who have lost children and want to support them. And I have several of my friends have listened to your podcasts as well and continue to, and they have thanked me for telling them about these because they've become better friends to everybody mainly me because they know how to support me through all of this. And they just realize what we know that we don't handle grief in this country well at all. No. And as as sad as that is, and it's, and it is so sad, but it is so helpful to just have little hints on that. Maybe I can do this and maybe I can try that. And, you know, 
And the other thing is I think the knowledge of knowing that it's not your job to fix it. I think that a lot of times friends feel this pressure like they need to fix you and they can't and they absolutely can't. And if you go in knowing I can't fix it, but I can sit beside her while she's going through it, I can take a little bit of that hurt and I can give her those little hugs. And if you feel like if you're giving a hug, you can take a little bit of your pain. You know, if your friend can give you a hug and like, I'm going to just, just give me 3% of it right now. Just give up 3% of it. Right. That helps every little bit. Yes, it does. It does for sure. I mean, it's not fixing it. But people don't know that. No, it's not by any means. It can't be. Believe me. If it could oh, be. Yeah. And your friends would do anything if they could fix it. Right. Of course. 100%. But I do think listening to podcasts like this and talking to people, if, if now you go in with the mindset of, I know I'm not going to fix it, but I want to make today just a little bit better. Today as good as right. I can possibly make it for her, which is not yeah. going to be a great day. It's just going to be a little bit less bad. No, no. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad your friends can yeah. do that for you, for sure. Yeah, no, I am too. And I feel like, you know, like I said, I've told, I've started recently a grief share class. I just, for the first time in person, which I really like. Yeah. And I was able to tell a couple of moms in there, they were all deaths from, you know, parents and mm-hmm. siblings and that sort. But there were a few moms there that lost their children. And one of them, I was able to tell her about your podcast yesterday. And she, you know, said, thank you so much. I've been looking, you know, I haven't really found anything. And so I said, you need to, you know, if you feel like I, I got so much out of these. So, and I've told other friends who have relatives who have lost a child, I've given them, you know, your information as well. And just said, they have them listen to this when they're ready. I think, you know, it just, cause it helped me so much. I can't, I don't know where I've been today, where I'd be today without them. And I'm, I know several people on your podcast have said the same thing. I've heard that by, from so many people have told oh, you that. I appreciate it. And I'm glad yeah. it can be helpful because that's all you can do is just try to help a little bit. Try to help. A right. Little bit. Right. Right. And then just to hear how different people are handling it. And that's why I think I written you pretty early on about Savannah's mom, Teresa. And it's just because not that we had a lot in common as far as the way our children died, or we both had daughters that they were, you know, it wasn't her only child, but just her stamina, you know, just her personality after just reminded, just reminded me of myself and how I was going to, I wanted to be, I saw something in her that I felt like I could strive for that. Like she seemed very energetic and very amidst all her grief and her pain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely true. And speaking of Tirsa, she like, what's it uh, now almost two months ago, month and a half ago, wrote asking for my address so I gave her my address and then (laughs) what comes in the mail but one of Savannah's drafts that they had given out at her funeral and a little board book which like I have the big version of it already because it's in Andy's room and another one of Savannah's collection of giraffes because Tirsa just sent those for Savannah's birthday which was just right around the time of the anniversary of Andy's death too and Now those things all sit on a picture right around Andy. And I, you know, I look at Andy and I think of Savannah and that's how we can help each other. Yeah, together. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, she did the same for me. It was Taylor loved daisies. My daughter loved daisies. I know Savannah loved sunflowers. 
And I told her Taylor loved daisies. And so the day of Taylor's celebration of life that I had here at the house, I get a daisy light in the mail. And so I opened it that night and I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you so much. I said, you sent it. It, it happened to be Taylor's celebration day today. She said, I know. You told me that. So that's what I, and I just so thoughtful and so kind. And it's just, and this is funny because I have not, I've not met her in person. You, you, you haven't either. No, I know I haven't. Either. Yeah. You know. But it's just you know. how we can be there and support each other and make right. ours right. not feel so alone. And with that five-year anniversary coming up, and I was yeah. just struggling. I was really struggling yeah. and yeah. she knew I was struggling. And that means the world to me. And for me to look up and see that little giraffe, like literally looking over Andy right now, he just, that giraffe just sits there right over top of the picture of Andy. I sent her a picture of it right away. And that's where it's going to stay. That's where it it just belongs there. It just belongs there like them together. I just, and that's what we can do for each other, right? Those little things. That's it. It is. And it's, and I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, right. Because it is a lonely yeah. journey and it feels really lonely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so lonely. It's so lonely. And I remember when you originally wrote to me, you had said, you know, I lost my daughter. She's 30 years old. She's my only child. She didn't have other kids. I need to talk to other moms like that. Do you have, yeah. do you have somebody for me to talk to? And, and I, you know, I gave you a few things kind of to listen to, but I did say, you know, if you want, maybe come on the podcast and maybe yeah, yeah. put it out there and say, Hey, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear from other parents that are in similar situations. And so right, I think right. that's what we're doing today too. So. Right. And that was my, that was my goal. Yeah. So if you are listening now and you feel really touched by Andrea's story and feel like a bond, like she did Mm -hmm. to Savannah's mom or whoever, feel free to write me. So just, we're going to write to me and then I'll forward it on to Andrea. So we don't give Andrea's email out to everybody, but I'm Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y at andysmom.com. So you write me and I will forward things on because I get things like that all the time. Just, just the other day I got, yeah, I, bet you <laughs> I got someone who had listened to Zoe's mom. Zoe's mom was on in May of 2022. And this mom wrote and had a very, very similar story and said, Hey, do you think you could send this on to Zoe's mom? And I did. And wow. Zoe's mom was so happy to talk to this woman because they did have very similar stories. And I, I know that they are going to be an amazing help for each other. So don't hold back. Don't hold back. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so, so, so much for sharing TT today. <laughs> thank you so much for everything. I'm thanking you. Don't you thank me? I appreciate it. Everything you And I do want to point out one thing. So not very many people are watching the video, obviously. If you go on Instagram and you see some of the video clips from this week, you will notice behind Andrea is a beautiful picture of TT. And on the picture, it says, and I've got to squint here again. It just says, <laughs> you will never be forgotten. I promise. <laughs> And I just love that picture. I just think that's beautiful. And that's always what we want, right? We want our kids not to be forgotten. Never to be forgotten. Never to be forgotten. Never to be forgotten. And we promise they won't be. (laughs) We promise.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.